0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tuesday Tips brought to you by the Hunt HuntLifty Podcast. I'm your host, Luke, with my co-host, Perry. <laughs> What's up, man? Did you forget your name there for a second? I don't know. Carter <laughs> usually says that,
1: and I, I don't know. Fucking <laughs> Sometimes you logged in under under Carter's name, so dude, yeah, you have so an, an identity crisis there. I don't
0: know who I am anymore. No, yeah, I get it. But yeah, we're Antelope Tips, as we told you guys from thursday's episode we're gonna go straight into some tips and some lessons learned and lessons that we you know continue to learn as we uh get more and more experience hunting antelope with fucking open sight muscle loaders which is kind of shitty but fun at the same time
1: yep yep for sure yeah what you got for us first
0: rule abg always be glassing all right this is Very, very important. And it's something we talked touched on in that episode with guys just wandering through uh, the different areas and not paying attention. Right. Is glass ahead of where you're going to be walking and like really glass. Don't just scan. We probably got a little complacent with our glassing and we had two that just popped up that were on a ridge that we were walking up towards that we looked at, looked at through the binos and didn't see because we didn't take the time to really pick it apart. Cause there was a IV line about halfway up where there's a little bench and there was two spikes bedded right there. And if we had been able to spot them before they spotted us, we probably could have made a good play on them. And that was like the last, our last uh, little bit of time before Perry left. So it could have paid off for us. So, so just make sure you're glassing when you're crossing those invisibility lines, which are those horizon lines on the piece of micro terrain where you can't see over top of the backside, right? Walk as you're, Coming up to crest, take a few steps, glass. Take a few steps, glass. You're looking for ears. You're looking for horns. You want to pick out those antelope before they can see you. Once they see you, it's going to be a lot harder. So if you can pick them out, if they're in their beds, because what they'll do is they'll they bed on the back side of those ivy lines, and so in the when you're, you're in those depressions, and so you want to try to pick them out, so then you can make the play, or so you just don't blow them out of the area. So just always be glassy. Before you go there, glass. If you're walking towards a ridge, glass it, take 10 steps, glass it again. Cause as your angles change, as you get closer, you know, it all shifts and you can see, and it opens up a ton of different, uh, kind of, you know, ways to see where these things might be, be hidden. Cause they will just appear out of the landscape. It is crazy. Yeah. So it's definitely just,
1: just always be glassing. Yeah. and. One other thing on that is just because just because you've glassed an area, even if you've glassed it recently, don't just assume that it's going to be clear for the you know for the foreseeable future because like where we're hunting, it's so open mm-hmm. these things are capable of, of covering such vast amounts of ground so quickly and you have to factor in that these things are so so well suited for their environment, they're so well adapted they're, they have a perfect camouflage. I mean, their coloring and their pattern is, is, you know, it's amazing. And so you can, you can glass an area, move a hundred yards, have a completely different, you know, the, the lighting can be different. You have a different vantage point, different angle, and there could have been something there that you entirely missed. And it might be sticking out like a sore thumb, or you might just barely catch a glimpse of a, of the tip of a horn or an ear Or they might turn. You can see that white Yeah, Exactly. The white ass. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, there's times where you almost feel like you're, you're just wasting your time doing nothing but glassing and scanning, but you really can't do it too much.
0: And that's where, you know, having a partner is nice because you don't always both have to be glassing and Perry and I are good. We kind of just feed off each other. You know, if he stops, I stop. He glasses, we move, you know, vice versa. If it's, if we're in an area where there's like a massive vantage point, it's like, that's my cue. I need a glass. So I go glass to the right. He glasses to the left, whatever, and just feed off each other, but always be glassing. And then when you find one, what we've done in the past, we didn't have to do it a lot this go around, but you can lose them so quickly because of the IV lines and where they drop down. And so then if you're like trying to find where they're at, you can, they just disappear. And so we'll do handoffs. And so one guy's on it and then you talk to the guy on, you're both on it. And then it's like, okay, I'm getting tired. If you're just going off hand, one guy drops by nose, the other guy picks it up, and then you hand it back off. And then you yep. that way you can track where that animal's going to try to you know catch it. Going to food, going to bed, going to whatever. Which kind of
1: segues us into the next tip. What do you got, Perry? Yeah, yeah. So that is my tip. Is 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 put them to bed. So at least in our experience, these antelope have a a fairly somewhat you know what I would call predictable kind of kind of food to bed pattern early morning they tend to be on their feet moving around feeding when they're not getting pressured from a bunch of other hunters <laughs> and then you know mid to late morning 10 11 kind of time frame time frame as a rule they typically start to try to find that place where they're going to where they're going to lay down and go to bed and you've already touched on some of the things they're looking for but like I said they they typically like to be kind of on the back of that IV line they have no problem being out in what seems like the you know wide open this unit that we were on has no real no sliver of what I would call shade or cover from the sun. They don't care. You know, they're not a whitetail. They will bed right out in the open, right out in the middle of the hot sun. What these what these animals are looking for when you when you're trying to identify bedding spots is where they have clear lines of visibility and where they feel like they cannot be approached. Where they feel safe and they have a fantastic knack for picking those spots. And if you have a group of them, um, they will align themselves to where they're all kind of covering different angles, different angles of approach. One will be looking to the south, one will be looking to the north, east, west, et cetera. And they're kind of covering their own, you know, blind spots within the group. So those are the kind of things you want to be looking for. And when, when you're trying to identify potential betting spots, but if you can put them to bed and it's if they don't get pressured, it seems like they will, you know, they can potentially lay there for several hours and they, they may get up. Sometimes they'll get up and they'll feed and kind of mill about a little bit, but generally in the middle of the day, if they're not feeling a ton of pressure, even if they do get up and graze a bit, they'll kind of, you know, bed right back down in the same area. And we've seen that repeatedly. And that's a really fantastic opportunity um, to make a stalk on them because you can be patient. You don't have to rush, You can take your time. It's no fun to low crawl through cactus in the blazing sun for three hours, but you know you can do it. And so, if you can put them to bed and identify a path of approach where you can either come up from behind them, you know, over the top of an intervisibility line, or from the bottom, use you know, this year we mentioned on the episode there was a lot of vegetation there, use some of that that taller or thicker vegetation if you're down low and the antelope is down low it doesn't really take a whole lot of vegetation to hide your approach so that's it's a really fantastic way to approach these animals um and it gives you that time that you don't normally have because these things are so they're so fast that even when they're just casually grazing even if they're not bumped they can just be doing antelope things and they can cover incredible distances in a very short amount of time. And so putting them to bed gives you a great opportunity to take your time and make a patient approach.
0: Yeah, it also allows you to pick pick that approach. And then, you know, when you're picking the approach, <clears throat> get to a place where you can try to see and like look through your binos because the all that micro terrain doesn't look apparent at all from the naked eye. But when you pull your binos up to it and you're glassing it, you can pick out those hard lines where the terrain is and use the terrain yep. you have to the vegetation unless you're at least in the unit we're hunting and there's not enough you can use it you know you can put one of those one of the opinion uh, those little spiky things you can put yep. one of those in front of you right and then try to use it and line it up and crawl 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 like that's try to line those and, and pick your approach but the way the best way is to use the terrain to get as close as possible and then use the veg because trying to do this in the low crawling is just not, it's not very effective and it sucks. And there's cactus and, and like <laughs> yeah. use the terrain to your advantage so you can get as close as possible. That's a big piece of it. Yep.
1: Yep. Absolutely. And kind of combining those two. I mean, so if, if that is your approach, you're trying to put the two to bed or put antelope to bed going back to your tip. If, if you know that it's about that time of day and you had antelope and you felt confident that they weren't spooked and you think they might've bedded down, really, really pick it apart with your glassing because they can, they can disappear when they bed down. And sometimes you may only see the the very tips of a couple of horns sticking up or an ear flicker, or you might see that head turn, you know, as, as they, as they change their, their vantage point. So don't. Change your that, angle too.
0: Yeah. Change yeah, your angle. Offset kind of cloverleaf around to try to nope. pick them out, do it really slowly so you can find them because you want to know where they are and then associate some sort of reference what we'll yep. do is there's a bunch of windmills where we hunt. So we'll use the windmills and we'll also use houses based on the coloration to at yep. least give us some sort of, and like use two different reference points. So you have some sort of like triangulation instead of just one, because that's going to shift as you move. Yep. Yep, exactly. What else you got? Our last one's pretty simple. And this was something that I don't think we did last year. And we started doing this year or two years ago, whenever the last time we did this is ranging the IV lines. Mm-hmm. So whenever you're coming up to an IV line, and you think you're, you know, kind of within that range is go ahead and pull your range finder out and range it. <clears throat> and it's kind of the same general idea as if you're whitetail hunting and, or if you're set up somewhere and you start picking out known points to range off of, it's a, it's your reference. So, you know, even though you're walking, I range it. Okay. I'm at 143. I keep a rough tally in my head as I'm walking with how many steps I've taken. That way, if an antelope crosses that IV line right at me, I have a rough estimation. Of where where it's at. Same thing when I cross the IV line and I look to the far IV line. Let me go ahead and range that because these things, especially when they're pressured, they will just run and blast over the top of these things. So you can find yourself face to face with them um, when you are not expecting it, and like being ready. Like I don't, I didn't sling. I don't think I slung my rifle one time when we were out in that unit because I had <laughs> that was the one I missed last year. First day I was hunting, I picked a stalk on one. I actually did it perfectly. I second guessed myself though because I didn't really know what I was doing. And I'm looking at my Onyx to confirm where I'm at. And I look up and I, sure enough, I was dead on where I was supposed to be. And I walked right up to one. I had my phone in my hand and my rifle on my shoulder. I dropped the phone, threw the rifle off, went up for a snapshot as he was running. And I missed him. And I had him at probably 30 yards, you know, and it just still eats at me. And so I don't sing my rifle. I'm carrying it because when you're, when you're doing this, like for my muzzle order, you know, you don't know what's going to be on the other side of that. Even when you're glassing and scanning and you're paying attention, like they still will materialize right there. And so, yeah, have those reference points range, know where they're at, and then use that to your advantage. One of the tactics that we didn't use that I'll probably use tomorrow actually is we picked a point that was in a bowl, the bottom of one of the, the drainages where your shots on either side of the IV lines are, I think they were sub 100. I think it was like 71 mm-hmm. and 65 or something, whatever. And from the bottom, and so that way, when you're looking, you're in. You can scan like if anything comes over that. Now you're, you've shrunk your your you know your uh, situational awareness. You might see less animals, but if you do see them, you're gonna have a shot. And they're going to come to you you not to them And so i think that tactics another one that that could work but you know it's using that topo to your advantage uh so they can't see you because you want to mitigate their like they they use their nose and the wind but it's not their primary deal right they don't use their hearing they can't the winds out there they probably can't hear shit they use their eyes and so you want to mitigate their eyes as much as possible yep
1: yeah and and there is i mean we noticed patterns where this kind of adds on to that where these, these animals don't have a whole lot of regard for topography and the way that, that white tails do just cause they're, they're so fast, mm-hmm. but they still use it. Right. It's not like it's total disregard. And there do seem to be some somewhat predictable patterns and paths where if they get bumped off a spot, you know? And so if you can identify, like we, we found this little bowl in this area where either, you know, either ridge they come across, you were within range. And it seemed like it was in one of these kind of predictable areas where, we consistently kind of see antelope crossing through one side or the other pretty much all day long as they're getting pressured from, from other hunters, then having those frames of reference and knowing that basically at, at the time, if you, if you're set up in a spot like that, the time that the antelope or the time you see the antelope that it's within range is going to be very valuable. And then the last thing that I would say on that is what it, what it also did for me, in addition to, Having those points of reference and knowing, you know, whether you're whether you're in play or not, if one should surprise you, is that I feel like I'm a halfway decent judge of distance in in a in a known environment back east. You know, if I'm in the deciduous hardwoods of Appalachia, I can I can make some pretty close estimates. You know, I'm not going to necessarily sling an arrow if I think it's at thirty seven yards without confirming. But you know, I know I'm not going to misjudge thirty seven for 67 you yeah. know what i mean yeah but out there it's tough and so what it helped me do was kind of start to refine that approach yeah. of of guesstimating and estimating distances and we kind of started bouncing that off you know see that spot over there how far you think it is and it looks like you know 320 well it's actually you know 280 or it's actually 420 you know you're 100 yards off or something i mean shit happens it's just so hard to gauge yeah but starting to starting to Get those different reference points as you're moving through the terrain. Kind of helps you dial that in, and it's it's still a, a big challenge, but it's at least something that you can do to to uh, refine it somewhat. Yeah, that's a great point
0: because it it is different. Like it's just totally different. That's how I started learning and getting better in the bow woods. Because I mean, I missed the doe. I didn't have a rangefinder. I just misjudged it. I was thinking I was like ten yards off. Which, when you're rifle hunting, being within ten yards is pretty damn good, right? Yeah. You know, it's, if you can judge, and, it's a dead deer and I had grown up and I got pretty good. I can look at a Ridge and know if it's 200, 300, 400 with relative certainty, <clears throat> it is completely different out there when there's no reference. Yep. And cause you don't have trees, you don't have anything. It's just open planes and you do need to refine that. And we, I think we did start getting better. I started getting within like 20 to 30 yards, you know, that's cause it's like, you know what your immediate reaction to what you think it is. And now you got to, judge it further from that. Right. And and then you kind of learn what that looks like. And so ranging those IV lines does serve multiple purposes. Not only is it a reference for you to take the shot, it's also a reference, a game you should play. So you, what do I think it is? Range it, see, adjust. And then every time you cross it, and now you're going to start developing that muscle memory of where that distance actually is going to be. So yeah, that's a great point there.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I'm going to throw in another one we didn't talk about, and that's going to be if you're hunting in the West and you need to use a muzzleloader and you can't use the scope, we talked about this on the last episode, but the Williams Western precision loading site is a fucking game changer. It's yes. well worth 150 bucks. Put it on the muzzleloader. Get it. Don't yep. think twice. No. Um, it's just, it's not even, I, I, if I ever get, I mean, I put them on both my muzzleloaders even my extra one now, cause I was just like, this is, I wouldn't want to hand it to somebody. Uh, one in the in the west to hunt with a fiber. So it's definitely the way to go. Plus if you're going and you're hunting like an elk and you do with the fiber optic for the low light stuff and <clears throat> the thick timber, you can pull out the crosshair and put the fiber optic one back in. So you have the it's you know modular. So that's a great site.
1: Yeah it's it's an easy install. It's an easy setup. There's yep. there's multiple options on the the uh the reticle um so you can kind of you know pick your flavor there. I did a when I was sighting my in. I did just a quick little kind of beta test I, with my with my uh, standard one that came with it. I looked at a hundred yards just to kind of see what my sight picture looked like at our hundred yard target that we have set up. And then I, once I put it on, I did the same thing. And it's like, man, this is even you know even even taking a hundred yard shot at a whitetail back home, I would feel much more comfortable with that sight than it's the signi- standard fiber optic. It's significantly
0: more precise. So highly recommend it. <clears throat> I'm also a big fan of the CVA or Acura, excuse me, over the Optima. Uh, It's about double the price, but I think it's well worth it. I'm I'm glad I upgraded. And if I was going to do it all over, I wouldn't have bought the Optima. I would have gone straight to the Acura. So it's significantly nicer.
1: Yeah, I agree. I've always hated muzzleloaders. I still hate muzzleloaders, but that one makes it a lot more palatable.
0: It's a nice gun. It's got a Bergara barrel, which is nice. I mean, I run Bergara rifles, and so, you know, you have a little bit higher quality on the barrel side too. So it's, it's a, it's a sweet, sweet setup for a muzzle loader. but I'm with you. I fucking hate muzzle loaders. <laughs> oh man. Well, I think that's it. That's uh, kind of wraps us
1: up. Yeah. Some, hopefully some good antelope insight for you guys. You can take some of our lessons learned, mistakes made and maybe it apply it someday and feel a tag quicker than uh, we did. Would apply it to rifle hunting too. Like I, I keep seeing all these guys like you better
0: be able to shoot out the 500 if you're rifle hunting. And it's like, we were consistently sub 300 yeah. on oh, a yeah. ton of nice bucks. Oh yeah, You can get there, just use the topo, pay attention, glass your way in, don't blow everything out. You don't have to like – I think a lot of guys do the old like you go in, you blow them out, and then you shoot them when they run off Yeah, at like 500. Like, you don't have to do that. You can actually get close to them and take a shot yep. that's a little more comfortable. The other thing is antelope are way smaller than you think they are. If you haven't killed one before – when you got to look at them, you kind of imagine that they're deer and you reference them off that. They're significantly smaller. So the kill box is smaller. Everything's smaller. A lot of people send a lot of shots after antelope. I've seen it. I'm not a fan of that. I think that, you know, if you're one of these guys, that's a true long range shooter, like hell yeah. But like, if you're just slinging Hail Mary shots uh, at 600, you never shot out the 600, like there's probably something wrong with that. So just, Use the tactics and actually hunt unless you actually have the skill set as a long range shooter where you're confident in the shot. Don't just sling the shots because you don't think you can get close. That's what hunting is, right? Actually stalk in. To me, that's what a lot more fun. I Even I don't have the skill set. Even if I did, I wouldn't take 800-yard shots in antelope because no. that's not fun. I,
1: you can get 800 yards of any antelope anytime. Well, and, and to your point, it, it is doable. It's a challenge, yes, but it is doable. You can get but with the, the, You're going to low you,
0: crawl through some fucking cactus, but like yeah.
1: – but, and you, you learn the species, you know, you put them to bed, learn when they get to bed, learn when they feed, you know, learn how to use that terrain, practice some of these tips and it, it can be done. Well, oh, and that's
0: what I love about this hunt is that I never would have, if I had only rifle hunted them, I wouldn't have learned any of this and I would have shot them at between three and 500 and that would have been it. And like, yep. now I want to get close because that's the fun, yep. like, you know. I might even, you know, the one that I—I I mean, I wounded it because I fucked my my scope up in Wyoming a couple of years ago. But I got to 160 on her, you know, crawling, yep. crawling, low, crawling up. Like to me, that's a lot more enjoyable than just taking those long shots. But to each their own. I'm not going to tell anybody how to hunt, but you know, just operate within your skill set and take some notes on the, all the mistakes that we've made and how many times we fucked this shit up. So yeah,
1: well, we'll take we'll take some of these lessons learned, and take these tips, and hopefully tag out early in Wyoming. Hell yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll update you guys on Wyoming here in probably a couple weeks.
0: But as always, we appreciate the hell out of the support, and we'll talk to you soon.